Matthew 23. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. And the message is entitled, The Pharisees' Masks Removed. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is in his last week, as you know, of ministry, um, only days before the crucifixion. He has uh, withstood the constant attacks by the religious rulers to entrap him and to uh, discredit him before the people. Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem as the king of the Jews. They have rejected him in chapter 22, verse 1 through 9. He has cleansed the temple as a, as a priest, a high priest, in chapter 21, verse 12, 12 through 17. And he has prophesied that the kingdom of God will be removed from Israel and given to the Gentiles as the prophet, king, priest, and prophet, Matthew 21, 43. He fulfills them all. He has just thwarted his last their last attempt by the Pharisees and Sadducees to discredit him by a series of questions in the temple about taxes, uh, the resurrection, and the great commandment in chapter 22, 15 through 20. And Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, 15 through 40. And Jesus put an end now to their deceptive plot by asking a question about the Messiah himself from Psalm 110, verse 1 which they were unable to answer, leaving them with the clear understanding the Messiah was more than the son of David. He was the son of God and the Lord of David in chapter 22, 41 through 46. It's been quite a day. <laughs> it is with this background and tense atmosphere that Jesus now turns to denounce and pronounce judgment over the religious leaders while he is in the temple precinct still. The chapter falls into three natural divisions. The unveiling of the false lies of the religious rulers is what we're going to look at, verse 1 through 12. Then you have the condemning of the evil practices of the religious leaders of Israel, in verse 13 through 36. And finally, you have the lamentation over the destruction of Jerusalem for rejecting her coming king, in verse 37 through 39. These are the strongest words of condemnation from Jesus to anyone found in the whole of Scripture and could be compared to those of Jeremiah and Ezekiel in Jeremiah 23 and 34, to the leaders. The words of Jesus are also some of the most important teaching principles for the church leaders and for Christian living of every believer. And so we want to examine the unveiling of the false lives of the religious leaders of Israel that unfolds for us in um, three movements here. Let me read our text for us. Verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitude and to the disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe... That observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say and they do not do, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen of men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best seats at the feast and the best seats at the synagogues. Greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, who he who is in heaven. And do not be called teacher, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greater, greatest among you, shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so, the unveiling of the false lies of the religious rulers is given to us and unfolds in these three movements as follows. First, the proclamation of their duplicity, verse 1 through 3. Second, the revelation of their hypocrisy, verse 4 through 7. And the denunciation of their vanity in verse 8 through 12. We begin with the proclamation of the duplicity, 1 through 3. Notice in verse 1, the audience of Jesus is changed at this point. The words of Jesus had been to the religious leaders. Jesus 
came on Tuesday morning, as you know, to the temple to teach the people and was questioned by the religious rulers about his authority for doing the miracles and cleansing the temple in chapter 21, 23. Jesus has ended his words to the religious leaders, having thoroughly disarmed them and silenced them, answering all their questions they tried to entrap him with from 20, chapter 21, verse 24, down to chapter 22, 46. Jesus is still in the temple precinct. It is still Tuesday, Passion Week. The words of Jesus, notice now, are addressed to two groups. Then Jesus spoke to the multitude and to his disciples, verse 1. Jesus now turns to those present and witnessed of the wisdom of Jesus against the religious rulers, the multitudes. They were seeing, they were hearing all this. The multitudes are the people congregated, distinct from the religious leaders and the disciples. The other group, the disciples, were constant companions of Jesus, as you know, and witnesses of his wisdom, his power, and everything that went on for about three, three and a half years. The word disciple simply means a learner, a pupil, his disciples, the twelve. So you're a disciple and I'm a disciple, a learner, a pupil. That's why we focus on the study of the Word of God. And we don't seek to entertain you or to make you feel good. We just turn you over to God's Word. And that God would minister to your heart, comfort you, instruct you, and guide you. That's the only proper thing to do within the church. But the scribes and the Pharisees are still present. You must understand this. Who Jesus will pronounce seven woes. So he's debunked them. Now he turns to the crowd and the disciples. But from 13 33, he's going to deal with them with the eight woes of judgment. They're still in the background. Look at verse 2. Jesus, uh, subject of the words of our two, part, two, two particular groups again, the authority of the scribes and the Pharisees is affirmed by Jesus here, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. The scribes, grammatos, um, means uh, they were Pharisees still, but they were the manuscript in translators and interpreters and teachers of the law. But they were still Pharisees. They had their origin in the time of Ezra, um, who was already scribe and um, he began the great synagogue after the Babylonian captivity since they had lost their language, their Hebrew language. And at this time, many of the Jews didn't have the Hebrew language, so these were the scholars. Their initial intent and motivation was to preserve and to teach the accuracy of the word. Um, and not all of them were bad. You have Nicodemus, okay, who was a good one, and the others, I'm sure. So 400 years have passed, and uh, they have built a fence around the law, to protect the law, their interpretations and their traditions through the mission atonements and different things. And so um, they ended up revering the fence more than the law they were trying to protect. And so they figured if, if this fence of our traditions and interpretations protect people from breaking the law, the fence must be holier than the law. And it became a flop over. Real natural. Literally, they have seated themselves in Moses' seat. They weren't true representatives, but they were there as such. The word Pharisee means separated one, distinct from the common people. They were the ritualists who demonstrated their piety before all. The word Pharisee still in Christian circles has that connotation Pharisee, hypocrisy, duplicity. And so they were never more than 6,000 at any one time, Josephus tells us. The seat of Moses indicated the position of authority God gave to Moses to teach the people of God. The scribes and Pharisees were um, seated there by the long line of men who had been groomed of Ezra's great synagogue. The original intent, again, and purpose was pure, nationalistic, but now their intent was abusive authority for self-preservation and 
to perpetuate their office by um, abusing that position. And they just didn't care about being doers, as we're going to see the Word of God. So as I've told you often, fungus among us, that's always the case. Not everybody that comes to church comes to worship God. Not everybody comes to church comes to study the Word of God. There are many different reasons. Now, look at verse 3. The recognized delegated authority handed down to these scribes and Pharisees is recognized by Jesus, but with a strong warning. Jesus told the crowd and his disciples to obey the teachings of the law, not their wrong interpretation and traditions. Jesus told the crowd and his disciples to obey the teaching of the law, not their hypocrisy, not their twisted views. Very important. There are people who sit in church and listen to pastors that are off the wall and they make no decision, no objection, nothing. They just sit there. It's wrong. The word observe means to do and always keep guarding. Used two times here. The second is an imperative command, a durative present. They're to keep on guarding. The idea is one of attending carefully. The word of God was and is not corrupt. Men corrupt the word of God. Notice Jesus told the crowd and his disciples to not copy their corrupt example. But do not do according to their works, for they say, and they do not do. The word but is a pivotal word here, contrasting the legitimacy of God's word and the illegitimacy of their lives. The present imperative here is prohibiting them to do after the example of their works. The reason is given by Jesus, for they say and they do not do. Again, a durative present. They keep saying and they keep not doing. These religious men did not live out the word they taught as revealed by God. James says, don't be just a hearer, but a doer as you deceive yourself. James 2, 22 through 25. Their works did not correlate or line up with God's word as God intended to be carried out, but according to their interpretations and their traditions. A lot of that goes on today in the emerging church. It's very, the exposition is very subjective, very entertaining, very creative, but not accurate to the context most of the time. But people love it. I'm amazed. Listen, Jesus said, you have heard that it's been said, but I say to you. Remember your old Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7. The Word of God was spiritual, not just mechanical, internal, not just outward. All right? Very important. This point is illustrated clearly. By the book of Ezekiel, it says, Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put, bef- uh, and put before me them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at, at all by them? Ezekiel 14, 1-3. It's a rhetorical question, one answer. No. The elders in the time of Ezekiel, they were hypocrites. They weren't coming sincerely to hear God's voice. But they wanted to hear Ezekiel. Hmm. There are many in ministry that live a life of duplicity. Sometimes God exposes them as the scribes and the Pharisees. Sometimes he lets them run and gives up enough rope for them to hang themselves. They manipulate the people. They merchandise the people. They use the people. I have seen much of this as I've been a pastor, even in some of the Calvaries. No one's exempt. Woe to those people 
who merchandise the people of God, who manipulate the people of God, who use them as their stepping stone for their empire. God helped them. Second Peter 2, 1 through 3 says, But there was also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. Underline that. Many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covetousness. They will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time. Their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. You say, who is that dumb? Listen, 42% of millennials want to live in a socialist or Marxist government. Did you hear what I said? 42%. There's only eight more before the axis tilts over. Deceived. Wow. There are many kinds of people that come to church, as I said. Those who are lonely are looking just for some companionship and fellowship. Those that are looking for a wife, a husband, or simply get help from the church. Then there are those who pass themselves off as something they are not, deceiving themselves, but at the same time deceiving others. Proverbs 15, 15 through 16 says, If God puts no trust in his saints, and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy, listen to this, this is good, who drinks iniquity like water. (laughs) That's the picture of man, ladies and gentlemen. Your sin will find you out. Moses told that to the people who were going to settle the land if they didn't keep their word and settle the land, then they could have the land on the east side in the book of Numbers. Wow. The proclamation of their duplicity was unmasked by Jesus. Notice, second, we have the revelation of their hypocrisy, 4 through 7. And four, the scribes and Pharisees imposed on the people their religious traditions, as we said. These traditions were oppressive obligations, for they bind them uh, heavy burdens. And, and for, for they bind, this phrase means to put in chains or to tie together. The religious duties were heavy burdens. The phrase combined of these two words has the idea of cruel, weighty portions or rights. The pictures of a donkey or a camel mercilessly overloaded. These traditions were enslaving. Listen to the words, hard to bear. The phrase is one word. It means grievous to be born. The demand and the keeping is not joyous or uplifting, but rather painful, resulting in discontent. These traditions were obligated. They laid them on men's shoulders. The word lay means to just put or to add one thing after the other. The tense indicates the present active. Uh, They just kept on piling them. No mercy, no nothing. There were 613 precepts, 218 commands, 365 prohibitions in the oral laws of the Mishnah and others. That's how they were divided. Amazing. These traditions were not demanded of themselves, though. This is the clause, right? It's like the dummycrats. They require things of the other side, but not themselves, right? It's a one-way street. They would not move Notice that with one of their fingers. The word move means to set in motion, to do nothing to relieve the load of the people with legalistic traditions. Nor did they make any attempt to obey and to do what they demanded and required of the common people. Double standard is wrong. Now, our whole nation is running on a false cry about double standards with sexism and racism. It's a joke. 
is to destroy our society. If you just be a decent human being and don't give more attention to your color or your race than you should and consider yourself a child of God who made you equal in his image and his likeness, you're not going to have any problem. But if you lean to the social, ethnic gibberish of the world, they're going to part your head and they will destroy you after they use you. Very interesting. They were evil and cruel taskmasters oppressing and lording over the people. The elders and pastors are to be examples and doers of God's word. Paul speaks about it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 and Hebrews 13, 17. The obligation we have, I am no closer to God than you. We are the same. But I have a greater responsibility for what I teach. I will have to give an account to God for everything I've taught you. Look at verse 5. The scribes and Pharisees love to be admired by the people. The motivation of the scribes and Pharisees was to be considered spiritual, spiritual righteousness here. But of their works, they do, uh, they do to be seen of men. There's just something about me. <laughs> I. Whenever you speak to people, they're always using I, I, I. Get away from them. I hear pastors, I, I. They sound like Nebuchadnezzar. I'm the one. And God says, that's it. Turns them into an animal for a while. Teach them some lessons. The word but, once again, marks the sharp contrast to not being doers of the same things they demanded on the people and what they are doers of. The works that these religious men do or perform is stated. All their works they do to be seen of men. This is Jesus speaking. Okay? Sometimes we get criticized. Well, you guys just find fault. This is Jesus speaking. Okay? And this goes on all the time in every generation. The word all means everything, everyone, the whole. Self-righteousness here. The goal was to be seen, to be beheld, to be looked at as something great, something spiritual. The particular manner they paraded their self-righteousness indicated they made their phylacteries broaden and larger borders of their garments. The phylacteries means the preservation or safeguard as an amulet to protect them from evil spirits and the demons, some of them believe. These were used by Jews to engage in prayer. Some of you were with us in Israel. Phylacteries, little box at the forehead, the other ones on the arm with a strap around it. Um, and they have um, um, scripture written in it. Uh, it contains four compartments that had a uh, strips of parchment containing scriptures in them, Exodus 13, 1 through 10, 11 through 16, and Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, the Shema of Israel in chapter 11, 13 through 21. And, and the one on the left arm had scriptures written on four columns and seven lines. These they, they, they make broad it says, meaning they enlarge them. You're not a little but big old boxing, you know, they're, they're self-righteousness. Incredible. Once again, to demonstrate their self-righteousness and to impress people. Jesus said, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.20. This stuff still goes on today, people. The way pastors carry them on or televangelists or whatever it may be. Those that are faithful to God, you're not going to have any problem with that. Okay? But if you think everybody is sincere and everybody is just in love with Jesus, you're smoking something. It's just not happening. The borders... It's a large square cloth worn over on the outer robe. Each corner had a tassel 
to remember heaven blue and to obey God's word, Numbers 15.38 and Deuteronomy 22.12. They enlarged them, referring to the length of the tassel. Two of them they would extend and throw over their shoulders. Interesting. You see the Catholic Church with all their doodads and everything. To show their righteousness, right? You got that. Go like that. It's the God Dagon. Mouth of a fish. That the Pope wears. Bridge builder. Pontifus Maximus. Interesting. The women. The woman with the issue of blood, you remember. She said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, that's the tassels, Matthew 9.20. I'll be healed. Now look at verse 6 and 7. The scribes and Pharisees sought the honor of men. In verse 6, they love the best places at the feast. The best places were the first couches to sit, recline at meal. Close to the host, you have the left and the right hand. The more honorable or prestigious indicating their importance, desiring the extreme left, seeing the entire table. They're looking for position, authority, and preeminence. This continually goes on, whether it be at work, whether it be in guys on the basketball court, whatever it is. There is the pecking order and there is the kissing up. No different. I don't care where it is, ladies and gentlemen. Their passion was carnal. The word for love here is phileo. An emotional love of affection. It is self-seeking affection and self-gratifying based on emotions. It fluctuates and it's not reliable for decision making. And that's why men always get over on women. Because women make decisions based on emotions. I'm moved by what I see. Ladies, you are moved by what you feel. And if you're not grounded in the word of God, you are lunch. Okay? Just the way it is. They love the best seats in the synagogues. They were the chief seats, the uppermost, the platform facing the congregation. Sometimes you may see it in televangelists on TV, you know, and they have all the doodad chairs up here, and you know, and they have their pompadours and everything else. When Pixie and Dixie were alive, they would have it, you know, uh, Paul and Jan Crouch and everything, and and and, and just like Pharisees. I, I mean, if I had Mario and Tony sit up here, they go, what? You guys don't need to look at us. I want your attention on Jesus. That's why I don't walk around and everything, okay? I just sit and I teach you, okay? I don't want to distract from the Word of God, okay? I don't go, God, you know, oh, look at him. Look what he did. Amazing, amazing. They get pretty good at it. They get pretty good actors. That's what the word hypocrite means from the... Smile on the front of the theater. An actor. Again, to display their greatness and to be admired by men. They would be associated with the chief rabbis, recognizing their authority, and maybe they get to go speak at their synagogue. You know what I mean? Do you know how many people do that within denominations and even within the Calvaries? They hobnob. They're yes men. Hmm. I'm too busy to go anywhere. I go, but you're my priority. I don't leave my Sundays unless I go on missions or Israel. I do not allow my Sundays to go by the way or the Thursday, only when I have to. And it's almost 40 years, ladies and gentlemen. And I love it. If you're going to be a father, you've got to be home. It's just that simple. 
the places of the synagogue, the gathering places of the Jewish men to study God's word at this point. They had to be at least 10 men to have a synagogue. When Paul went to the riverside where Lydia was there, a good example, there wasn't enough men. The example of Jesus was from his own experience as he spoke in all the synagogues as his custom was. Luke 4.16 tells us. Three quarters of his ministry was done. If we're in the Galilee here, there's a Sea of Galilee, and there's Tiberias over here, the Decapolis. You got Capernaum over there. I put my hand there. I put my hand here by Magdala. Three quarters of the ministry of Jesus happened right there. He went to all the synagogues and preached all the time. Wow. So he was very keen to these guys. Come in with all their tassels and everything else and rabbi. And, wow. They love greeting the marketplaces and be called men, rabbi, rabbi. Talking about rabbi. Greetings, salutations, how they were addressed. They love titles. They love to be addressed by people with titles of distinction. Doctor, the most, the great one, the sage. <laughs> wow, we just eat that. I just love me. Amazing. Jesus said, For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Do we get it? Matthew 5 20. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They're a perfect example of hypocrisy. Giving an appearance, they had given everything to God as they sold their property in Acts 5, 1 through 11. God smoked them. Now, they didn't have to give the money. God didn't require the money. They just wanted people to think he gave the money. Hypocrisy. Jesus um, warned about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in their giving. That still goes on in Christian television, churches, and evangelism. He says in Matthew um, 6, 1 through 4, Take heed that you do not do your terrible deeds before men to be seen of men. Otherwise, you have your reward before the Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have the reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's why we don't give gold plates to the person who gives the most this year. We don't put your name on a parking tarp or a toilet seat or anything around here. We, you know, this is between you and God. We don't push money. We take the offering as quickly and as general as possible. And we let God take care of it. And God has never failed us. There's been pennies over, pennies under, different time. God has blessed us. God's taken care of it. To God be the glory. That's all that matters. Very important. It's easy to say, you've got to live it. There's no greater witness that I can give to you, ladies and gentlemen, than to tell you God has provided for this ministry from day one. Without any pressure, without any begging. Why would I want to change now? <laughs> Why would I want to throw a monkey wrench in the machinery? One word, greed. When you get greedy, you have to get clever. And you know you can work the people. Wow. Jesus warned about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in their prayers. Matthew 5, 5 through 7 says, And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and corners of the street, and they may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward, but you... When you pray, go into your closet, your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard in their much words or their many words. Praying is just talking. How would you feel if your son came and said, Oh, Dad, you're so the greatest. I need five dollars. <laughs> He slapped. What's the matter with you? Taking drugs? He can, hey, Dad, can I talk to your father? You speak to him. 
Your voice doesn't change. You don't go into this, you know, trembling voice, vibersonic. Jesus warned about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in their fasting. Matthew 5, 16 through 18 says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you that they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Sounds so simple. But it's the heart that's the problem. Always. The revelation of their hypocrisy is given here. Lastly, we have the denunciation of their vanity, 8 through 12. 8 through 10, the scribes and the Pharisees coveted. They coveted exalted titles for themselves. It's already, you just mentioned at the end of this last point. The proclamation is now using and being addressed to the disciples here of Jesus. He says, but you... So he's been talking to the crowds. At verse 8, he turns to his disciples. Make that distinction. Verse 1, he turns from the Sadducees, Pharisees to the crowd of the disciples. Now he leaves the crowds. He talks to the disciples. The word but again marks the sharp contrast between the disciples and the scribes and the Pharisees. His disciples were of a different spirit. The disciples were pupils, students of Jesus. The word you is emphatic, being placed at the beginning of the sentence in the Greek. This is a warning to the disciples about pride. This is so because they were men like all others, having sin nature. Everybody needs this warning every day of their life. Do not seek out titles. To exalt yourself, Jesus is saying. Notice the end of verse 8 down to 10. The prohibition to his disciples is again seeking out various titles to exalt themselves above others. And he gives his examples here. The first title, do not be called rabbi. We kind of saw that in the last point. Um, as we have seen, it means great one. My honorableness. Master. And there's various forms of this. John 20, 16 gives us another form. The reason notice given is that they were all, uh, they all stood on equal ground in the family of God. Listen to the words of Jesus. For one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Pastors often are called reverend. I'm not reverend. The word reverence is addressed to God in the Bible one time, not to any man. People love titles. Today in the emergent church, in the Pentecostal church, people want the title of prophets. I'm a bishop. I'm a prophet. Shut up, a prophet. It's amazing to me. And the people give in. It's amazing to me. The second title, do not call anyone on earth your father. For one is your father who is in heaven. The word father, pater, in the sense of exalting oneself or someone on earth to the point of seeing them as the very source of your spiritual guidance. Be a priest or a mediator, stuff like that. That's wrong. The reason is, that regardless of how much God uses a person, we are to have our eyes on our Heavenly Father, who is the source and the giver of all good things through His Son, Jesus Christ. Do not deify any person on earth. We've seen many of the gurus be deified, and brilliant men, lawyers, judges, and you name it. Follow these guys in Oregon and Washington, the 70s and the 80s. And on one of them, the greatest privilege they were going to have is to drink this man's urine or eat the excrement. 
intelligent people. Whoa. Cults. Absolute deception. And if you don't think it happens in churches, Jim Jones, David Kadesh, and hundreds of thousands that are out there. Hmm. The third title is Do Not Be Called Teacher. For one is your teacher, the Christ. The word teacher means master or guide to show the way, cautioning the disciples of thinking themselves to be infallible leaders. It's a strong warning to them. They've had high privilege. Well, we were with Jesus, right? Hmm. It appears only three times in the New Testament. Two of them are right here in verse 10. The reason is that our true teacher and guide is Christ. Do not let anyone take the place of Christ. Not your wife, not your husband, not your pastor, not elder, not, no one. No one whatsoever. Now, the titles in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. If you go to school, you get a doctor's and all that, okay? But it's seeking these titles to be admired and to exalt yourself. It's the spirit of the heart that's being condemned. Are we clear on this? Very important. Look at verse 11 and 12. The disciples were to be humble servants. The principle of greatness in the kingdom of God is serving others. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. The word but, again, sharp contrast, certainly from the scribes and the Pharisees. An important caution to the disciples about the desire of power and prestige among themselves since it was their constant conversation. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? <laughs> Remember, James and John saw Jesus with the right hand and the left hand, the position of power and authority. And... Um, they believed that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to set up the kingdom. We saw it in Matthew 20, 20 to 28, Mark 10, 35 to 45, uh, Luke 19, 11. They're, they're getting close to Jerusalem. They, they, were, they, they were convinced they were going to rule, man. And when um, uh, the, the ten found out with the two as, they were indignant. They were, they were ticked off. Why? Because the two beat the ten to it. The greatness of a person is that they are Servants, diakonos, one to execute a command for another. Literally a waiter on tables. I'm a glorified waiter boy to serve you God's food. That's all. Nothing else. The phrase shall be is the indicative future middle voice. The individual does the serving and the evidence of being a servant is always based on ongoing service that will be evident and unfold in the future. It's not enough to begin well. You must finish well. This word is used for deacons in the church. Notice the principle of true humility. And whoever exalts himself should be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The proud person will be abased by God. The word whosoever, once again, means any person calling himself a Christian. This is a context. His disciples. He's not talking to the crowd. He's not talking to non-believers. He's not talking to the Pharisees scribes. He's talking to his disciples. The caution and warning is to the one who exalts himself, lifts himself up, thinking more highly of himself than he ought to think. Like the person who says, you know, I'm tired of talking about me. What do you think about me? Hmm. This is an indicative future active, for it is easy to begin humble and well. But to remain humble takes a lot of dying to self. The humble person, notice, will be exalted by God. The word humble... Verse 12 there means to make low, to reduce, or rank oneself below others. It centers on attitude, not actions. 
It's your attitude, your heart, my heart. It is the conscious act of one's own will to see one's own tendency towards arrogant pride that leads to self-exaltation, therefore crying out to God to help them reckon the old man dead and put on the new man to walk in the spirit to be more like Christ. Every day. Jesus got tired of teaching them this. After the Last Supper, he took a bowl, water, and towel, girded himself, began to wash feet. And you know the conversation Peter says, not so. He says, if I can't wash your feet, I have neither pardon nor law with you. Lord, give me a bath. And Jesus said this. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should be as I, they should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sends him. If you know these things, blessed. Oh, how happy are you if you do them. John thirteen twelve through 17. Wow. The world lives to be acknowledged by their achievements and accolades, to be thought of as great and be known by great titles. Be it in their education, their degrees, doctor. Be it in their accomplishments in the field of knowledge or talent. Be in the ability to learn, advance, and to excel in their profession. Yet so many are empty, having no hope in life, taking their lives, as the fashion designer Kate Spade or celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain, who committed suicide by hanging themselves. Money, fame, titles. That's just not going to do it, ladies and gentlemen. It's pretty empty, pretty hollow. Now, there is nothing wrong, again, with the titles or the accomplishments. It's what it does to you. It's your perception. It's your mind. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loves his life, loses his life for my name's sake will find it. For what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Absolutely nothing. Listen, they're going to bury you without shoes. You're going to leave everything behind. Whether it's a penny or a billion dollars, you cannot take it with you. Wow. Listen to Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Proverbs fifteen thirty three. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs sixteen nineteen. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three. For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. Isaiah fifty-seven, fifteen. Jesus is the believer's example once again. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 he didn't think it robbed it to be equal with God. He humbled himself and he became servant even to the death of the cross, obedient. A name highly given to him. Jesus told the twelve when James and John um, asked him for the left and right hand, are you able to drink of the cup and, and, and the baptism? Oh, yeah. Mm, they had no idea. They were smoking a, a pride cigarettes. Hmm. The half-brother of Jesus, James, says, But he who gives more grace, but he gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace 
to the humble, James 4, 6. Peter finalizes by saying he's the one that stuck his foot in his mouth more than any apostle. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5. This is the denunciation of their vanity. Wow, do you think we need any of that stuff today? I do. <laughs> Absolutely. So we have examined the unveiling of the false lies of the religious leaders of Israel. Unfolded in these three movements. The proclamation of their duplicity. The revelation of their hypocrisy. And the denunciation of their vanity. It still goes on every day, ladies and gentlemen. It won't stop till the Lord comes for his church. We are bad to the bone. Father, thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. We thank you. We praise you. We pray you give us wisdom and understanding that we yield to you, Lord. We pray for those that are here and those that are listening. Lord, you would deal with our hearts. If you're out there, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. You alone know where you're at. And if you've been hearing with an open heart, then God has allowed you to see yourself of who you are. You are a sinner. You fall short of the glory of God. And if you die in your sin, you will perish eternally. But God gives you another option. He says he died in your place. He takes a death for you. He paid the price for every sin you ever committed. And if you will acknowledge your sinfulness and your need of a Savior and call upon him, he will forgive you, cast your sins as far as east as the west, and give to you eternal life. This is your decision, one or the other. If it is the latter, as I hope, then this is your prayer of repentance right now, whether you're over the, on the balcony, the floor, or over the internet. Christ is going to forgive you right now and make you born again. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.